Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, Wildcats? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I am Adam Green, joined as always by Brett Barry. And Brett, we're back. We are. <laughs> we're doing the thing. We're we're distanced socially or physically, as it were. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who are our big time listeners, we thank you. But also, Brett and I usually do this show in person. We get together and we just do the show like old school radio. Because of the COVID-19 stuff and social distancing, we are trying to be responsible and safe. We are in our own homes right now doing this. And spoiler alert, we don't live in the same house. So we are not together while doing this show other than virtually. Yeah. <laughs> we're, not, we're not in some exotic recording studio. Let's break the fourth wall. Yeah, no, no. That's, I don't even know what we would even call this anymore. Like what kind of studio? I don't think we have a sponsor, so that's good because we're in two different places. So it'd be kind of disingenuous to say we're in a studio because we're we're just not. I mean, we could get sponsored by like Zoom or Skype or you know if somebody wants to throw us some money, we'll throw Please. their name on our studio. Absolutely, and actually, right now there's two different studios, so you could have two different studios for the price of one. How about that? Sounds like a great deal for a sponsor. Get on it, Brian. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, but. For those who have been listening to Wildcat Radio, we've had some stuff going on. Saul Bookman's been doing his show, and he had one this week, Brett. And let's touch on this first, just to get out of the way. HBO, the documentary The Scheme, came out, and there was a lot of hype going into it from some people. And I think the people who were most excited for it were the folks who are anti-Arizona or anti-Sean Miller. Because the, the days leading up to that documentary, I know you've watched it, I've watched it the other day. The days leading up to it, people were like, the people who watched it were mostly like, yeah, there's really not much there for when it comes to Sean Miller anyway, that if anything, it makes the FBI look bad, not really anything with these coaches. Yet you still saw some people, I think John Wilner, Dan Bickley, a couple of people were like, oh, this is going to be a big thing for Sean Miller. Then we watched it like, that's it? <laughs> like, it didn't surprise us. And it's just one of those things where I was like, yeah, it happened. Okay, big yawn as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean – I think Saul touched on it all pretty well, and I generally agree with uh, what you're saying and what Saul was saying. Um, you know, the, one of the funny things, the first, like, half hour of the whole thing, it seemed like it was weird fluff of giving background on Dawkins and then kind of weirdly transitioned into essentially mocking him and his credibility and establishing him not as a credible person, but then kind of tried to go in, uh, and him and his lawyer, it was basically a, a live read presentation of their legal strategy. Uh So it's like an important thing to remember that it was like, you know, Dawkins comes off as somewhat sympathetic. uh, And the FBI, I think the FBI is who comes out the worst in all of this. Plus they, they, you know, they, they definitely seem to be hot to trot to get a a coach, um, you know, and the, and the recordings of Dawkins would seem to indicate and support that. Granted, it's all from, I think we all need to remind ourselves it's from Dawkins and his lawyer's point of view and essentially presenting their case. So, you know, in a court of law, there'd be a whole other side to this, and I'm sure it would look less flattering. 
Um, but, you know, there was no new information. You know, spoiler alert, Sean Miller cusses, which you can tell if you turn your... If you turn your volume up on live Arizona shows, you know that. <laughs> That's Caleb Tarzuski, if you remember from a couple of years ago. Um, and, like, I know Saul touched, like, went off on it when it was, like, the worst thing that seemed like Sean Miller really said, unless you're, tr- you know, it's kind of a Rorschach test where you see what you want to see out of it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, the, I mean, the most unflattering thing, which I would actually not even, I would challenge, like, Saul went off on uh, a little bit on where he was being bragging, like, I was about ready to send that. SOB home and you know there's some speculation and some pretty clear speculation as to who the player was on that on some of the boards but uh, like I don't know I don't even think that's that bad if you got guys that are just not showing toughness like I I don't know maybe I grew up on too many old school coaches where I kind of it's you know these guys know who they're going to play for and a lot of them go there because uh, they want to be coached hard but that's it like how many Okay, let's say for the sake of argument that you're surprised Sean Miller cusses. You're surprised he's intense. You're surprised, like, yeah, I, you know what he said. Like, okay, how many of these players leave Arizona and say, I hated that guy? Right? Yeah, exactly. And, like, Caleb Tarzuski took that for four years. Like, he was one of the, he was like the first guy I think that people saw, like, oh, look at what Sean Miller did. I remember that big, like, that was a big story when he got in Caleb Tarzuski's face. Terzuski was at Arizona for four years of that. Do you think that's the first time he got yelled at? No. <laughs> so, like, it's, like you said, Brett, if people who wanted to see something in there saw whatever it is that they wanted to see, and that's not to say Sean Miller is clean. None of us, have, we've never come on this show and said Sean Miller is innocent. Just, if you were looking at that, that documentary to be the smoking gun, the nail in the coffin, this is finally he's busted, come on. That was never going to be the case. And you, no. could, you could argue that the FBI – I don't know how FBI investigations work, but it seems like they went in with, we're going to get a head coach, and then started building their case from there. It wasn't actually following where the evidence took them. It was more just they wanted to find the evidence to that. They had an end goal in mind. Maybe that's how FBI investigations work. And to be honest, it's kind of surprising they couldn't find a head coach. <laughs> I guess they got I mean, Rick Pitino and Will well, Wade's on text and Bill Self. Like, but- it's – but they didn't even get Rick Patino. They right. Louisville fired him. But it's like, but it, the, that's the thing I was saying. Like they seemed hell bent on getting Rick Patino, who ironically Dick Vitale goes off on Twitter defending. Uh, and it seemed like by just happenstance between you know the phone ringing and it's Sean Miller calling Dawkins and you know the fact that Book was there on these calls at the time when they were uh, essentially trying to get him to pay coaches directly. Yeah. Um, you know, to some extent it's just kind of bad fortune. And I think I, you know, I think we did it in our live pod with Saul, but I'm not sure if it made it to the pod. It was like, you know, me and a friend had discussions that like Arizona might just be the big enough school. That's not so big to challenge the moneyed interest that it's why it seems like, you know, maybe I'm wrong and we get, it just feels that way because we sit here in Arizona, but it seems like, you know, not, no other schools had the false story of Sean Miller getting fired, and you know there was no new information. And I think, to your point, you know, every, everybody cheats. My fairly wealthy uh, mentor, guy whose daughter plays softball at a mid-tier college, he, he has money, and he even says like, my daughter plays softball, going to a decent softball school, and we got, you know, there people are trying to cheat with us. I guarantee you, they cheat in every sport, right? Yeah. 
um, I think I forget where I heard it, but it was like uh, I think it might even been one of the quotes in the thing. It was like, uh, you know, there's everybody cheats except for one, and that team's in last place. Was that, was that Tarkanian? Oh yeah, that. I think it, oh I think it was Tarkanian. Yeah, I think that was brought up in the documentary too. And that's, yeah. but that's the thing. I, I obviously as Arizona fans, we have a perspective that I'm not following the Kansas news as closely, or the LSU news, or the Louisville news, and all that. But certainly when it comes to ESPN, it does seem that Arizona has been the whipping boy and whatever. Okay, like it is what it is. Like we can't change that. We can help that. Maybe Arizona is big enough to be noticeable for them in a story, but not too big to where if they buried Arizona, college basketball implodes onto itself. Like that's that's very possible. That's something that Arizona has to deal with. Something that Sean Miller's had to deal with. And, you know, some of the some of these issues that he's dealt with are self-inflicted. Right. Like if you if you take the. You take the stance that Book Richardson was going rogue, which I have a hard time believing that he was just totally rogue. But if you take that stance, still he was Sean Miller's assistant coach. He had known him for years, for decades. So yeah. that's still on Sean Miller. And so it's not to say Miller is innocent. It's not to say that Arizona won't be punished because Arizona will be punished by the NCAA. Eventually they'll get around to their notice of allegations and Arizona will deal with that there. But if you were looking at the scheme, and really, of all the things that have happened, there's it seems like every few months there's a new story, or in this case a documentary, something that comes out and it's like, oh, no, this is going to be it for Arizona. This is going to be it for Sean Miller. And it hasn't happened yet. And that's not just calling like Teflon Sean or anything. Just it hasn't, whatever it is that would be the, yep, he definitely did it, probably doesn't exist. Because it's hard to imagine if he's as good at cheating as people think he is. The people who think he cheats and are sure of it, like, yeah, he does that. It's hard to imagine he, one, just started doing it the year before this all went down, which means if he's been doing it for a long time, he's probably good at it and knows how to not get caught, right? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. the thing. These guys, that's all head coaches. Yeah, so that's the thing. So it's not an issue of, like, oh, well, like, you're not going to catch him. Like, there was bad luck, and even Dawkins was talking about in the documentary, like, it's bad luck that people called at the times they did, that are – that the Adidas Adidas didn't pay the money the way they're supposed to with Brian Bowen, right? That's what they were saying. And if they, he would have, if they, if Adidas would have come with the money at the right time, then there's no paper trail and all that. Like, there's dumb luck involved, yes. But if Sean Miller is this elite cheater that people like to think, and who knows, maybe he is. But if he's that good at it, then he's that good, and that evidence isn't going to exist. That's again, that's not to say he's clean and innocent. Just that smoking he's, he's, gun. He's not exist. stupid. Yeah, the, <laughs> The paper trail, the smoking gun, he wasn't paying DeAndre Ayton $10,000 a month. No, I'm sure not, because there's a paper trail. Or at least if he did it, you're not going to be able to prove it. If the FBI couldn't prove it, and clearly from that documentary, they wanted to. If they could not prove it, it's not there. So yeah. I wrote a thing for AZ Desert Swarm last week that was basically saying, if you want Sean Miller to be fired, it's not going to have anything to do with this investigation. Like maybe if the notice allegations come down in Arizona, he's – like suspended for two seasons and all this, and the Arizona's just like, okay, we have to make a move. But he's got two years left in his contract. They missed on their chance. This was a big tournament that we didn't get to see happen just because if they go d- a deep run, maybe you extend it. If they get bounced on the first weekend, maybe you fire him. But he's got two years left on his contract, which basically means he has one year left on his deal. And if that year – first off, let's hope that season happens. But second <laughs> – Depending on what happens there, that'll determine if Sean Miller's going to be back to finish the to finish his contract. And if he's going to finish his contract, they're going to have to extend him. So well, they're going to they're going to have to extend him before they have him coach a season in his last. Like exactly. you, you can't recruit that way. So it's uh, yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but like the most maybe one of the more ridiculous aspects of it was 
the lead up when the NCAA saying that they were going to be watching this documentary intently as if there was anything new in there or that they're going to base their notice of allegations on the documentary of which a third of the time HBO basically spent mocking like with even like the captions like introducing a character and like <laughs> bro has money and they put that as like his title yeah <laughs> like it and basically establishing him as somebody that is less than credible and then it's like you know to your point you you if you if you if you eventually pull like a Louisville and say there's just too much smoke around this it's not worth the distraction you're Arizona that's one thing if you fire him for on-court performance that's one thing I generally you know <laughs> I'm not a denier that uh he he wouldn't have knowledge of what's going on, but he's also to your point, knowledgeable to enough experienced enough. Like most coaches are to not, you know, pull a will Wade. Um, <laughs> and even will Wade's still there. Who's still not. Yeah. He came off way worse. Um, but <laughs> you know, you, I, I, I fundamentally have a problem with saying you fire somebody based on at best, like BS information. Like even in the documentary, they re brought up, the they tried to frame like a conversation. I think it was between Book and and Dawkins about DeAndre Ayton. It's like the original like ESPN BS story, and like Book even says on the call, he's like, he's already on campus. So like, do you <laughs> or do you guys know how like bribes work? You usually don't bribe them after the fact. Like he's on campus, he's registered. Like it's and you know my my theory has always been that the Brian the the Aiton tape and there's there's been rumblings that like if the that tape of Sean Miller talking about it exists it actually exonerates but probably doesn't make him look good. My theory is that it's Sean Miller talking to Dawkins and Dawkins basically calls him probably under duress from the FBI based on what I saw in the, the documentary saying, No, you need to say, hey, give me a hundred K for Brian Bowen. Who yeah. Dawkins was connected to Bowen. He was never connected to Aiton, which again is like you can't, in my mind, you don't fire somebody over clearly inaccurate things. And my guess is that Sean Miller is probably on tape saying, "I'm not gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna call me and ask me for a hundred k for Brian Bowen. I wouldn't do that for DeAndre Ayton. I won't do that for Brian right. Bowen. And somebody could like be. You know, that's how a game of telephone can have that become some false well, narrative. It but. goes back to almost like the idea of what the FBI was doing, where you have you have your goal. This is what you want to get to. So then you try to find the evidence that can bring you to that point. So really, I think we agree that if Sean Miller is going to get fired, it's going to be because of what happens on the court. Yeah. And unfortunately for everybody, not just Arizona, this NCAA turn didn't happen. Like we talked a lot. I think we did a show actually, or Arizona won. They're like they're, or we, yeah, we saw. It's like, hey, they finally won their last game of the season for the first time since 1997. <laughs> but so going into the week, and that's it, it's almost sad. Like, how many shows did we do? Like, it, you know, we'll just see what happens in the tournament. We'll see what happens in the tournament. Then we can make a judgment on this team. And of course, that tournament never happened. But the season is waiting for Godot in basketball form. <laughs> it really is. So it's like, it's hard to judge this season. I've had friends say, well, how far do you think? And we did it on the Saul show. Like, how far do you think they would have gone? I have no idea because their ceiling was high, their floor was low, and the matchups would have determined everything. I don't think it's fair to try to judge it that way. Like the season was what it was. It was disappointing because they weren't a top 25 team when it ended. They lost far more games than they should have lost. They lost a lot of really close games. Like they were, 
if you want to just say a total of like 15 points away probably from having four or five more wins. <laughs> like they were that close, which is why we had, th- we had faith that maybe they could go on that run. But they didn't get the opportunity to go on a run. They didn't get the opportunity to get bounced in the first weekend. So the only way we can judge them on is a regular season and one Pac-12 tournament game, which was a, a revenge game. Like, they beat Washington, who had just beaten them a few days before. <laughs> that was nice. A revenge game against the last-place team. <laughs> we know was better than your traditional last-place yeah. Pac-12 the team. Most that, talented last-place last, But that's team. the last time we saw them, right? Like, yeah. So when judging the season it's damn near impossible to give a full assessment because every Arizona basketball fan will tell you, even in the good seasons, when Arizona's first or second in the Pac-12 wins 25 games, 26 games, it's, well, that was great. What do you do in the March Madness? What do you do in the tournament, right? Even, so if you have a down season, hey, it doesn't matter. If you have a good tournament run, it makes your season fine. If you have a great regular season but get bounced in the Sweet 16, well, that's a disappointment. So they didn't even get that chance. All we have was an underwhelming regular season and a perfect postseason record. One and oh. One and oh, baby. <laughs> I mean, I think we talked about it with Saul. I, I assumed that whatever is the most frustrating possible outcome was likely the most <laughs> <laughs> likely outcome. Um, like, maybe that means you win the Pac-12 tournament, then lose in the first round. Or maybe that means you beat a great team to make the, like, Elite Eight or Sweet 16 and then lose to some trash, like, 14 seed. <laughs> some Cinderella team by, like, 20. Um, but you know, it's one of those things that we just won't know. And now it's, uh, you know, the, the one thing we know is that the roster is going to look a lot different next year. Yes. How is, how is that for a segue, Adam? That's a beautiful segue, Brett Barry. You are becoming a pro at this. I think uh, there's no rust visible there. Look at what a guy, now, Arizona. <laughs> we, we knew they were going to lose a lot from this team, be it the freshmen who were most likely going pro and the seniors, was it seven players? They were likely to lose, including like their entire starting lineup. Gosh, I think it might even be like nine if you count like, uh, like what's the name, the Jake uh, Desjardins or okay, however you pronounce so his this name. So this is the show prep thing. Still haven't gotten better at that. Um, <laughs> but, I, but we knew the team was going to look different. This has become the theme with Arizona basketball, and you can look at it and say that's a negative. That obviously you'd like to see some roster consistency, continuity. That's how some of the best teams end up being really good. But this was also inevitable, right? And unlike past seasons, like you have Jordan Brown, who was redshirting, so that's cool. You have James Akinjo, who transferred over, was redshirting. Maybe if he's eligible to play beginning of the season, now you have a point guard. Brandon Williams, who we'll see, we can hope for him and his health. Like you can't count on him, but if he gets back and can be 80% of what he was, but healthy, he's a useful player. But other than that, and of course, Christian Coloco. Don't forget Ira Lee. And Ira Lee, no, but yeah, of course. Like it's, but the, the problem is, currently, Ira Lee is our only big man off the bench, and he ain't that big, and he ain't that talented. No, he <laughs> didn't have a great season as a junior, but as a senior, assuming he sticks around, he could have a bigger role. I like Ira Lee, but next year's team is going to look very, very different, and this past year's team looked pretty different than the year before, in a good way. But Arizona has made some moves. Of course, they have a couple of the freshmen coming in, the big news earlier in the week, they picked up Terrell Brown, a grad transfer from Seattle, which was nice. Like He put up some really good numbers <laughs> up there. And, of course, Arizona and their grad transfer history, especially the guys who have gone from like the smaller schools to them, it hasn't always been great. Max Hazard was a disappointment this year, I'd say. Mark Tolleson a few years before wasn't that great when he came up from San Francisco. Um, this guy, though, Terrell Brown, 
the numbers are there. And you see the highlights. He gets to the rim. He can facilitate. He can rebound for his size especially. It doesn't look like a bad pickup in any way. So here's here's the thing. Before, I'll give you my take pre and post Terrell Brown. Because when I was looking at the roster, before Terrell Brown, you have Akinjo, who's really a score-first point guard. You have some combination of Jamal Baker and Brandon Williams, maybe. Neither, you know... Let's just assume, like you said, Brandon Williams is 80%, so you can't count on him to be a you know, guy. Your, yeah. your, your guy that drives the, drives the car, right? He's not the fuel. Um, then you got two freshmen, Dalen Terry and Ben, as we ben. call him. <laughs> um, and Dalen Terry actually is intriguing. I think Dalen Terry is probably, or he's probably the guy with the most uh, NBA likelihood on the current roster because he's big long and like he, I think they're going to be able to facilitate the offense through him a lot because I don't think he's a big scorer but I think he's a he's a, like a 6'8 kind of like almost point guard yeah. in a sense you a know big po- point guard or big wing, think, wing who can distribute think think like you know I'm not going to it's unfair to compare him to him but I'm just saying skill set more along the lines of um oh gosh I just blanked on his name that went to the Sixers Ben Simmons Okay, um, you just compared Dale and Terry to a guy ended up being the number one pick in the NBA draft. Well, that's, I understand that. It's that's, that's, I mean, that'd poor, be great. poor man's poor man's version of that. But I'm saying a similar like game. Like was like 6'10 in a point guard. Yeah, in terms of like the guy that's not going to sh- shoot a lot from outside, but can handle the ball, pass effectively, can be a matchup problem. A, a really valuable player. A modern and, day wing. Yeah. Ex- well. A version of a modern-day wing, because yeah. I would contend that there's a couple versions of that. There's, like, the slasher, the Josh Green type. There's the 3 and D guy. There's just the freak athlete, Fair. you know. That makes um, sense. And then you had Jordan Brown, who was a five-star that didn't do much at Cal that we wanted previously. Nevada. And lost out, or yeah. Nevada. Well, oh, yeah, Nevada. He, he was actually, everybody thought he was going to Cal yeah, because yeah. he's from there. But, and yeah, then he no, surprised he, with Nevada. But you can't rely on him, right, because we've never seen him do it at this level. Well, and I don't think the thing, I guess what I'm looking to, to make a short story long, <laughs> what I'm really trying to do is get to the fact that I looked at that roster and I saw James Akinjo going uh, one on five half the time. And when he's out, you have Dale and Terry trying to facilitate and hope that you get a guy on a screen and roll or a mismatch and a, an open dunk. Okay. Because there's, there's also not a lot of shooting on that team. No. no. Um, and Terrell Brown, you know, under, he's an interesting guy because he doesn't. His three-point shot isn't that great statistically. He doesn't even shoot that many threes, but he is a scorer. And there's a difference between a shooter and a scorer because that guy puts up numbers. Uh, that though, I was reading some of the things on him where he's got interesting stats. The percentage of his shots that are, you know, off the dribble. And when he was at Seattle, it was like, hey, here's the ball, go get us points. Yeah. So how does that? Ch- how does that translate into D1 talent on this roster, especially with James Akinjo, who had a reputation at Georgetown of maybe being a little too, I want to shoot the ball. How many combo guards can you get away with, in a way? So, yeah. you know, and maybe Terrell Brown's three-point shooting percentage was lower because he's doing a lot of off-the-dribble threes. I, I'm not going to lie, I did not watch a lot of Seattle basketball games <laughs> last year or the year before that. Um, so... You know, it's it's it'll be interesting to see. I do appreciate that there is somebody that, you know, he's a guy I feel like you can him and Akinjo, I feel like can be like, hey, we need to get a shot. At least they'll get a shot and it'll be 
a reasonable chance of getting some points. Well, you, you, know? need, you need options, right? Like, and yeah. right now the team just needs bodies. <laughs> like, there's not a lot of players on the roster, at least set to be on the roster next season. So whether Terrell Brown, he's said all the right things. He's not promised a spot or anything like that, not promised he wants to earn his way. And, you know, kind of like we thought with Max Hazard would be this past season where a guy who was used to being the man where he came from would come in and just fill a role off, whether it's off the bench or when they need instant offense. Now Hazard was a shooter, and Terrell Brown doesn't appear to be, but – you know, he's 6'1", but averaged six rebounds a game last season, which is pretty impressive for a guy that size. So it seems like he's a type of player who – like, that's an effort thing, right? We've talked about it before. Rebounding is so much effort, especially when you're 6'1". So if nothing else, it seems like a good fit to round out the roster. Maybe your sixth man, maybe if Akinjo gets hurt or if Brandon Williams – and if Brandon Williams isn't healthy enough next season to play, you need more guards. Like, this team mm-hmm. needed another guard this past season that they could rely on. Maybe Terrell Brown – is that guy especially need someone like that because of some of the players that Arizona has lost or do you want to, do we want to get into that first or should we talk about where they're looking just to fill out the rest of this roster because they're in on a lot of they're in on a lot of possible transfers well let's do what the roster could look like still before we get into yeah. the guys that left okay. I, th- I think that makes more sense because there's 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 a lot of intriguing talent out there there's high school guys that we're still in on uh, Kerwin Walton being, I think, the, the, the one we're most linked to and most likely. Minnesota who, player, right? Yeah, and the thing that he fills is his you know, calling card is supposedly outside shooting. And when was the last time we actually had a guy whose calling card was outside shooting on a Sean Miller team? Like maybe Gabe York? <laughs> he was the best we could do in that spot, yes. Gabe York was, he's Kyle a three-point Vaughan. shooter and a, a guy who had a really good lob high school dunk on his mixtape. Um, <laughs> I like then, Gabe York, though. He, I mean, I, he, he stuck it out, man. I Yeah, I no, I appreciate Gabe York, though I still have nightmares of him going up to try to dunk on guys and always ending up six inches short. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> six inches? Short? Short. On dunking? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um... <laughs> Well that, well, that went awry. Um, so, you know, if, if Kerwin Walton is the most likely, uh, I think he, you know, I think Terrell Brown's role is very, very, very dependent on what else happens in filling out the roster because if Kerwin Walton comes, he's in potential for starting at the two spot. Otherwise, I think Terrell Brown, especially if Brandon Williams is not 100%, I think he's a got a really good chance at starting. Yeah. But if you get, if you get a... The other, one of the, the higher-rated guys that they're still on, uh, Zaire Williams. Williamson? Williams? Williamson? I forget. Is, is it Williams or Williamson? Yes. Ah, gosh. Show prep. Um, <laughs> but he's like a top-ten wing, but he's more of like a, you know, the athletic kind of freak with still some room to grow that, like, yeah. has the NBA body. And, you know, they're going to find a way to put him on the court, obviously. Oh, and and you Williams, don't get a, by the way. Williams. Uh, I, maybe I was just trying to turn him into Zion Williamson to and will him to come to Arizona. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, so I think you still have to fill out at least one guard or wing unless you really want to rely on a healthy Brandon Williams or two freshmen, one of whom is very raw and one of whom has a limited outside shot in the two incoming freshmen. And then right now you have Jordan Brown, Coloco, and Ira Lee. And Which is just much, not fair for opponents when you have Coloco. I mean, we should just have Christian Coloco and the Tucson High basketball team out there, and we'll finally make a Final Four. <laughs> um, That's all it takes. You know, the one of the one of the people that I'm really intrigued at that 
just a day or two ago uh, entered the portal is the the center of the is it is he Dutch from uh, from, from Purdue, Purdue seven three guy I was boy I you know I was watching some of his clips I would be damn intrigued to see him on this roster because he's more of a even though he's seven three he's more of a finesse player and it seems like that might be like Jordan Brown everything we understand with him is he's an athlete he's tough but he's not super skilled or at least he's not shown it. Coloco is obviously a developing player still uh, who is growing into his, you know, monstar capabilities. Um, and then Ira Lee is basically, you know, a, a, a really likable, high-energy guy that's basically the poorest man's Charles Barkley if he was not an NBA athlete. Right. <laughs> um, and, not as, and not as skilled uh, as Barkley was. Because he's basically like that undersized power forward, but he doesn't really have, you know, he's a he's got some skills, but he's not somebody who's gonna you're gonna run an offense through by any means, right? Probably, um, I would hope not. Not a good offense. So I think his name is Harms, the guy from Purdue. I would be, I would love to have him on the roster, uh, especially as I think he can be somebody that Coloco can learn from and develop with. And the, the crazy thing is. Maybe maybe I'm crazy, but I think him and Coloco could, based on their offensive profiles, be on the court together. Like Harms is hitting threes and like he a made finet- ten of thirty two last season, so he's willing to shoot them. That's about what a little more than one a game. Hey hey Adam, that's very similar in both count and percentage to our new transfer guard we just got. Who's the scorer? <laughs> oh God, this team's not going to have any shooting. Curd, they need Walton. Yeah, they really they really do. <laughs> to your point, like. When it comes to the grad transfers, that's interesting because depending on what you think of Miller's longevity or his time in Tucson, he's going to have next season. And, of course, a grad transfer has one season, that's it for them. So if they want to do that there, there's nothing that says the future could be an issue for them. So there's a lot out there, and it's kind of – the formula hasn't worked for Arizona. Like it, we've, The combination of freshmen plus grad transfers isn't always – it hasn't worked out for them yet. Right now, the difference is like this next year's team has a couple guys who were grad who were not grad transfers. There's traditional transfers, and their traditional transfers have been pretty solid. The guys who have sat a year but been with the program, so it's not like they're totally starting. It's going to be a new roster, but necessarily new players all throughout. Especially if a bunch of veterans, if you have grad transfers, experienced guys who just to learn to play at Arizona. But there's a lot out there, and if you're these players looking for a place to go, one Arizona can offer you playing time right now. It's Arizona, so it's a pretty big-time program for a lot of them. It's a step up. So, yeah, I'm curious to see what they can what they can land, who they can land from that group because a lot of these players could go pretty much anywhere. Brown was a nice get because he had a lot of options, and he said Arizona got him early, like the first team to reach out to him, the first school to reach out to him, and they really he really liked what the Wildcats had to offer, what they were telling him. You, it's the same refrain from everybody that talks about Miller and the coaches. It's like they didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. They just told me the truth. They told me what I needed to hear, which is, I guess, maybe it's like coach speak. Maybe it's just cliche from the players. But they were able to build that relationship quickly and in conventional ways, like in time, and get him to come to Tucson. There's going to be a couple other players out there who they can do that with as well. And then the freshmen, it's a little bit different because they're looking at themselves as one and done. Are they looking at themselves as being here long term? If they're thinking two or three years, are they trusting that Miller will be there for all of it? Like there's, there's a lot that goes into all that, but certainly the roster right now, as it stands, doesn't look that great. Certainly not as good as last, this past season's roster looked on paper, but the roster's also incomplete. 
That's not to say they're going to land. If they land everybody they want, they're going to be a top 15 team. <laughs> like if they land everybody they want, at least preseason top 15. But we'll see. And that's what's interesting for them because you just we just don't know. And it's not like a normal offseason of basketball. One that the tournament would have just ended. The NCAA tournament would have ended. We're recording on Tuesday. It would have ended yesterday. So the offseason would, would have been, been celebrating the big win for probably. first title since 97. Yeah, that seems like the most likely scenario. I think for the for the women's team. <laughs> <laughs> Still, I'd be celebrating that. Oh, absolutely. Um, but so it's I'm just it's such an interesting time in terms of that to where I don't know how the recruiting if it is hurt for a team like Arizona for a team that needs to recruit a lot of players. Like Arizona doesn't have a lot of players returning. It's like, well, you how do you go get them? In this, in this day and age with what things are like. So if they can do it, if they can figure out how to crack that code and bring some of this top talent to Tucson, the next season could be at least set up to be good again. But they have a lot of work to do. But like you said, Brett, if you look, like AZ Desert Storm has some articles of some of the targets that are out there. There's, there's talent to be had. And Arizona's in on a lot of it. And if they just land a couple of the guys, two or three of the guys, maybe one more grad transfer, one or two more grad transfers, and a couple more freshmen, they're going to be a good team. At least they'll, on paper, they will be a good team again. Yeah, honestly, if they get Kerwin Walton and if they get Harms and maybe another grad transfer, that roster is not the NBA-talented roster, but I'd be hella intrigued to see what Sean Miller can get out of them because I think there's a lot of guys in that in that configuration that have roles and they know what the roles are. Yeah. And you can you know, you can you can manufacture some things out of that in the, <laughs> You know, having just think about having two like elite shot blockers on your roster if you got Harms and Coloco, like that that fundamentally changes how you can play team defense, right? Your offense might struggle a bit. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, we're all scoring on you either, so it's fun. well, and that's and that's where you need guys like Terrell Brown because it's like uh, it, otherwise it's just a Kinjo shooting thirty shots a game, you know, and scoring 14 points and we hopefully win 51 49 <laughs> that's exciting basketball i'm i'm here for it <laughs> <laughs> that's what we call miller time <laughs> but that those are the guys who could be on the some of them aren't gonna be on the team next season some of the guys we're hoping will be on the team next season but we're going to talk about a couple of the players who we know for sure will not be back right after this break Okay, so Brett, there's really so far no surprises when it comes to the roster attrition that's happened with Arizona, right? We knew the seniors weren't coming back. We were pretty confident the trio, the, the three freshmen who played the most were not going to be back. Zeke Naji declared for the draft, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, but it was pretty, it was expected. Nico Mannion officially declared for the draft on Tuesday, earlier today from when we were recording. I would expect Josh Green to declare soon, too, although I would love if he didn't because I think he's a guy who could be really, really good as a sophomore in a role that Arizona doesn't have anyone to fill at this moment. Like, they could, in theory, Jordan Brown could replace Najee, not saying that he's as good because Najee was great. And Akinjo would be there to fill in for Manning, not saying he's Nico Man because they're different types of players. But they don't have a Josh Green waiting in the wings, pun intended. So... 
Is he a wing player? Eh, eh. But, oh, let's, man. but the two guys who are going, Zeke Nagy, I don't think anyone has an issue with. It was like he had a good season. Freshman of the year was phenomenal. Nico Mannion, people are like, he's not ready to go. And that, that may be true. He did not have a great freshman. He was fine. He wasn't five-star McDonald's All-American, best point guard Miller's ever recruited type of good. Actually, he might have been the best point guard he's recruited. It's not a long list of great players. But still, I understand why he's going pro, and I don't begrudge him for it at all. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is kind of what the plan was, right? Like, all these guys, you know, speaking of Sean Miller telling guys, like, uh, you know, they, they say that they tell them what the truth is and what the plan is. And, you know, the, I think Sean Miller is honest with guys and parents and, fam- and the families and the handlers when they're, when he's talking to them. And I think there's a respect for that. And I think Sean Miller probably told Zeke Naji, yeah, you're not an NBA guy right now, but I think you have that potential. And I, you know, I'm not going to guarantee you minutes. I'm not going to guarantee you anything, but I think I can do it gets you to that level and that's going to be a nice recruiting tool in the future and you know now he's retweeting guys that arizona just offered in minnesota for next year's class that you know probably helps us out um you know we're waiting on josh green to declare i can't imagine he won't just because i actually i think i've said this all season speaking of the same story and uh you know with this roster and the team is that I still think he's the guy with the highest floor when it comes to the NBA because there's always value for a guy that's true wing size. Like he's a, you know, he's a physically tough six six wing that if he can develop an outside shot, he can become a three and D guy and have a long career. Absolutely. Uh, you know his his jump shot's not there now, but you know he can go give a couple minutes right now and be a developmental player. And if you, if your job is literally learn how to make corner threes, and you can make I can dangle the carrot of that second contract being, you know, adding a zero onto everything, you know, that tends to, it tends to motivate guys. Yeah. Uh, and you can't, te- you can't teach that kind of athleticism and you can't really teach that kind of, uh, toughness that he has like the, the old Australian rugby, Australian football player kind of type mentality that I think will serve him well in the, in the league. Yeah. Um, sure. so like if you're, if you're a team that's, the funny thing is, in the NBA draft, like when you get to the late first round, you know you're no longer you don't draft for up you draft for upside in the lottery and you draft for upside in the second round. You draft for like, all right, what's the high floor thing? The guy that's like like Solomon Hill went higher than people. Who can help me? Ex- right? Who can help? Yeah, and Solomon Hill was like a guy that benefited from that approach because uh, like they're gonna get a guaranteed contract that's no, that's not nothing but it's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So like you don't want to waste that. And have you know a couple million dollar hole on your roster uh, when you can get somebody at in the 30s and have you know a one year non guaranteed contract or a two way contract. So I think he will benefit from something like that um, because I think his floor is so high, you know. And then Nico and Zeke, I think it's just going to be what team falls in love with them the most because uh, I think I think there are going to be some teams that are like pull Nico Mannion off their draft board or drop him way down and some team's going to fall in love with him and all you need is the one that's in love with him, right? Well, and if he goes to the when he goes to the NBA, like he's going to get picked. He's athletic, he's he showed yeah. flashes. 
He just sure. was cons- wasn't consistent, and you could argue got worse as the season progressed in a lot of ways. But you could see what makes people excited about him. And he goes to the right team. Now, as a point guard, you can't, uh, you can't be underwhelming at the college level as a point guard because the ball's in your hand the whole time. But in the NBA, if he can make open shots and make good decisions with the basketball, he'll have a role. Because not every point guard in the NBA is the star. Some are just there to be facilitators, but, of course, Manning has to accept that role. But if you're an Arizona fan, and, again, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you are, for the most part, <laughs> then you want these guys to succeed in the NBA. Players coming to Arizona, even if it's just one season and going on to the NBA and being good, is not a bad thing for you. So is can you say Mannion – like every one of these guys would be better served with a second year in Tucson. Even Zeke Naji would be better oh, absolutely. as a sophomore. Like that's pretty much every basket player, basketball player in college would be better with a second season. Just that the way this draft was setting up in terms of talent and the way the next year's draft is looking – and there's the fact that these guys came in pretty highly regarded, and maybe they didn't live up to the hype, but they weren't colossal disappointments. Like, Josiah Turner was a disappointment. Nico Mannion, well, I can see you right now, what you're doing, Brett, but for, for reasons, he was a disappointment. Nico Mannion was a disappointment not because he was a terrible player, but because he wasn't as good as people were hoping and or expecting. So they'll get their shot, and probably not having off-season workouts and the draft combine and all that stuff hurts a guy like him. Or maybe it helps him, because I don't know how these guys would I test. I don't know if it hurts him, to be honest. But maybe like in the interviews and stuff and go out there and open gym. and make, like, It's hard to say how this is. Everyone has to deal with it, right? Every single player who's going to be in the draft, especially if they're a freshman, only has their freshman tape for these coaches and these scouts and the GMs to look at. So we'll see. But I, I get why he's going pro. I assume Josh Green will go pro, too. And hope for the best for them. And to your point, like you said, Brett, this was the plan. Like Sean yeah. Miller said months ago that when they got a kid, he was like, we're going to lose Nico. Well, it w- probably would have been a surprise to Miller if Nico said, Coach, I'd like to stick around. He would have said, nah, nah, we don't have room for you. But this was the plan the entire time. Yeah, I, and I think, I think you made a really good point that this year's draft is also not, on the surface, the best one in a while. It might be one of the worst. Um, Sorry, not top-heavy. I, I don't know if it's anywhere heavy, to be honest. <laughs> um, and, like, I I think, you know, I said that whoever drafts these guys is going to be the team that loves that guy. I think the team that drafts Nico is going to be the team that has been following him since high school and knew they were going to draft. They fell in love with him in high school and those in the following him around the AAU circuit. I think the team that drafts Zeke Naji is going to be to watch his freshman year tape. I don't think, I don't think Nico's freshman year tape improved his draft stock for anybody it's just for who it didn't drop it for right that's fair um and kind of a same and josh green i think was basically what we expected him to be uh as a freshman and i think it reflects what he was in high school and it reflects what his role is going to what nba teams are going to be expecting out of him i think zeke Naji's the one guy that actually you know showed uh, a lot of significant growth from you know going from a four-star guy to maybe being the first guy off the board in the class for U of A, uh, but you know the fact that the fact that you don't have these workouts, I think it's hard to say whether it helps or hurts the Wildcat guys because I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of these scouts know these guys from when they're even in eighth grade, right? True. true. It's you know there's. These guys are pegged as the the future NBAers for the most part at a pretty young age, and Nico is on that you know that that list. Uh, you know, 
I think he would have done great in an interview. I am concerned for him how he would have done if they were doing like uh, like scrimmage workouts. Um, I think he would physically test okay. Probably not as athletic as we want to think he was. You know, so it's like, does that help him or hurt him? I think it only it only helps or hurts for certain teams and for the certain teams that are basically already had their mind made up and they don't have any new information to work off of, it doesn't change anything. So, yeah. if that makes sense. Well, at any rate, we, we wish them good luck, right? That That's the big yeah. thing. And, you know, whether you, whether you think these guys should have come back for another season, there's a lot of players who have left early. And unfortunately for especially someone like Mannion and Green and Najee is that for a lot of players, a lot of freshmen, especially the one and dones, it's, if they had a down regular season or just not as good a regular season as you were hoping, they could make their legacy in the tournament. Not to say they were going to, because nothing, nothing that this team did made you say, made you think, yep, they're destined for a deep run. But if you want to take the Washington game and the fact of tournament as any indication, then maybe. <laughs> like, like if Mannion put together three or four ridiculous games and was that guy in the NCAA tournament, then people remember him differently. Granted, sure. we have a huge sample size. He played 32 games with Arizona. And you could argue that that's a, long, that's a lot of games to see how you do. But, again, it's Arizona. The tournament is where you really earn your reputation. So he was robbed of that chance. Green was robbed of that chance. Najee was robbed. Dylan Smith was robbed of that, too, you could argue. Like, there are players that just didn't get that, but that doesn't mean you don't appreciate what they did. Arizona was better this past season than they were the year before. These are guys who committed to Arizona and stayed with Arizona through a lot of the stuff that was all the noise, all that you know that junk that was going around with them. So if nothing else, they were the superstar recruiting class that maybe didn't pan out in their one year the way people thought they would, but also made it okay for five-star recruits to go to Arizona at this time. So yeah. if you look at it that way, you know what? Like, even if you don't look at it that way, good luck to these guys because the better they do in the NBA, and that's the pros, the better Arizona looks as a program. By the way, when you were talking about Dylan Smith, I was trying to remember if the West region had any games in Anaheim and if we could have had a chance to see Anaheim Dylan Smith. I don't even know where the regional games were set up for the West region, but part of me just wants to see if there was if that was a, a, a true thing in March. If that's a real thing, just Anaheim Dylan Smith. <laughs> I I remember I was in Disneyland um, before all this stuff went down. We drove by the Honda Center in Anaheim, and I, I gave it a look and a motion with my hand with one finger out because that place has not treated Arizona very well historically. So <laughs> He said, you're the one place I don't want to go watch U of A play. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but, so, Brett, I think that does it for us for basketball. We're actually going to talk a little bit of football, but before we do that, let's take one more break. So football, Brett, when everything got shut down, they were in the middle of spring practice, getting set for the spring game, and well, there was only like one week of practices in before everything kind of was put on hold. So not a lot to gain from that. <laughs> I mean, who needs spring practice to introduce an entirely new defensive scheme? Oh, yeah, that'll be fine. Step? Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> 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 like, it's... Uh... 
all those all those spies that we're going to see what our new scheme was going to do really was going to impact our. our like you get a, a brand new starting quarterback, some young receivers that need to learn to work with that quarterback, an entirely new defensive scheme. And it's in what is a make or break season for the head coach. <laughs> like I think that that's clear. That's obvious. Well, and, you know, you know, can, yeah. I, can I challenge that with COVID nineteen? I'm not sure. There's I, I saw some things that I think uh, uh, in the national media, and I think it's true that you might see the fewest number of coaches being fired because of the buyouts true. from all the revenue that was lost. No one's gonna have that, any money. That it makes it, you know, <laughs> as much as you'd like to think it's about what matters on the field. You know, there's a lot of money that just got uh, that people are planning on that they don't have. So I think people are going to get next that next year on their contract rather than the buyout this year. That's true. <laughs> I mean, it's just you know, football is the, one of those sports, or especially when basketball, like basketball, was still happening when this all went down, when spring ball was happening too for football. So still excited about basketball, but football is one of those sports where you get excited for everything, even when you're not expecting a great season. Still, spring ball is a chance for new guys to get there, in this case, a new coaching staff as well, and you're hopeful. Now, of course, when spring ball first started, Arizona lost Coach Meat, so that was fun. They've since hired a defensive back coach. Play some Greg Burns, who was formerly of USC. Seems like another solid hire, not a home run based on, but it's almost it kind of fits with the entire defensive. Now it's every defensive coach has been changed from last year, right? Like, but it, may, it kind of fits with that group. That, you know, you look say, that's not a bad hire. But you're not saying, yeah. wow, what an amazing hire, which if you're Arizona and you're Kevin Sumlin going into what at the time seems like a make-or-break season, uh, hey, not bad is probably the best you can hope for. And it seems like he did that with, with Burns. Yeah, and it, you know we kind of expected and we talked about that we thought they might go young ace recruiter guy, but I think that kind of that plan went out the window a little bit when uh, the dominoes started falling with meat leaving after, I think, you know, there's, there's all after uh, what's his name from Colorado left. And then a bunch of things, teams start moving around uh, a bunch of coaches start moving around and you're late in the cycle to, you know, target your guy, so to speak. Um, But, you know, all things considered, it's one of those hires that seems like, all right, he's, you know, he's maybe not the ace recruiter and he's maybe not the super ace tactician or schemer or developer, but he seems like he's very well-rounded, which that seems to be a little bit of the theme on the defensive side, at least, where there's, you know, there's some guys that are very experienced, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, everybody on there, there's no one that's just like, there's no Dante Williams where they're going to be like, oh, yeah, you're a coach. <laughs> and by... Air quotes, you know, by the way. Brett, there's yeah. some air quotes for that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you're the coach that it hit your your biggest skill is playing Madden online with high school kids to convince them to come to your to your university, uh, as you know, recruiting is oftentimes yeah. these days. Um, so you know, and I think if you're Arizona, we've talked about it. Like, how do you how do you really you you can't compete with the Oregon's or you know the you know the big other big programs in terms of throwing money after the the big guys that can develop and then just you can recruit off the school name and history alone or you can't just hire the ace recruiters and not develop the players so you kind of have to find the way to thread the needle and this seems like another hire along those lines um you know he's got a pretty solid resume you know he was the defensive backs coach at usc twice i believe i think he was there in the in the they were really good carol years Uh when they like you know 
I, I was I actually had a have a web page up almost like live show prepping Adam. Wow. Where when he was the defensive backs coach in those four years, they went forty eight and four. So it's like he knows Clearly, it was because of their secondary. I mean, obviously, everybody uh, knows those USC teams. We we remember their secondary. I mean, Reggie Bush was the great player in their secondary, right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, that, that's the thing. Like he's, it's not a how you say what were they thinking in any way. Again, late in the process with a coach who's on the hot seat, a head coach who's on the hot seat. His track record says he knows what he's doing. Is he the best defensive backs coach out there? Probably not. But is he a downgrade from what they had coaching-wise? Probably not. <laughs> so yeah. when you're remaking this entire defensive staff, like it's no one's going to weep over losing defensive coaches from Arizona staff, right? It's not like the defense had been good. You're going to be like, oh, man, where will Arizona be without fill-in-the-blank coach? Some people might weep. Opposing offensive coordinators might weep. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So that, when you look at that, it's, it's kind of one of those moves that obviously has been overshadowed by – by reason of things that should overshadow a defensive backs coach move higher. But it did happen. Arizona's coaching staff is complete. They've also added a couple of players, offensive linemen, over this time. They just recently got a commitment from Anthony Pat who for 2020. We'll see. You know, but they're clearly you – you look at the players they are bringing, especially offensive linemen, even defensive linemen, there's a theme, and it goes back to just size. They want big bodies up front, which makes total sense to me, whether they're four stars, which they're not, Two stars, three stars, no stars. They're bringing in size and trusting that they can mold these guys, especially offensive linemen, into good players, which offensive line is probably one of the spots where if you just have the tools and the physical ability, good coaching can get you to be a quality offensive lineman who will help you. Absolutely. Like, it's, I mean, offensive line is, even for more physically mature players and prospects like the nfl doesn't know how to exactly project offensive linemen from the draft right and there's developmental guys and you know there's a lot of analyses every year at the draft of like star ratings and draft picks most of those lower star guys are that turned out to be great pros were a lot of them are like o-linemen because they're very 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 hard to project um so you know it, considering you needed you just needed some bodies and depth uh you know they're not they're, these aren't the kind of commits and additions that are going to make you, you know, go, wow, I need to buy extra season tickets now. I'm going to be super hyped. But, you know, it's, again, it's like, it's not a panic ad. Just like Burns doesn't seem like a panic hire. You know, Burns was like, oh, you, your girlfriend dumped you a week before the prom. And everybody's like, oh, what are you going to do? And then, like, you end up, you know, oh, there's a cute girl from across town. And everybody's impressed. Uh, <laughs> she's not like the prom queen, but all right. Um, you could do worse, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it's, you know, I, again, I I feel like as much as we've talked about people mock the trust the process, I feel like they're hesitant a plan, and they haven't gotten everything they've wanted, but they've also had the second and third options figured out, and they aggressively pursued what they most wanted, but also were, you know, working parallel to to, to have reasonable solutions. And I feel like these O-line ads are kind of along those lines. And even if they're just serviceable backups, there's value there, right? Yeah. Um, you don't, they don't, we don't need, like, we don't need a, a, a starter out of these guys, but it'd be nice to have guys that can step in and get some snaps if there's an injury or two for a game or two, right? For sure. And not have the, you know, the whole, the whole thing fall apart. Now, all of that said, I, people are not high on Arizona coming into this next season. 
<laughs> I think it was at the recent thing, Caesars Entertainment set the season win total at four and a half for the Wildcats. Now, I promise you they will not win four and a half games, but that's, that's where they have Arizona for being no better, really, than they have been the last couple of seasons. And spring football would not be anything that says, well, they're going to be good now because I think we talked about it, everything in spring is good, right? The, the returners are in the best shape ever and buying into the system. The new guys are ready to go and help this team. Everyone's better than they were last season. But just there's zero expectations on this team going into the season. And maybe the new coaching staff, again, not, not having the offseason probably hurts the defensive side of the ball. It's hard to imagine not being able to install their system and be there. It probably hurts Grant Cannell, who didn't have all the reps as the number one quarterback. So, like, these are circumstances beyond anyone's control. It, pro- it, it doesn't help Arizona in those aspects. So, like, it's hard to predict anything for them right now because, one, you yeah. have to know if there's going to be a season. But then, two, like, they lost. They're going to lose their entire offseason. Well, also, how significant – of a play was it going to be for Grant Gannell to to burn his red shirt and get him those snaps last year, uh, knowing if you I mean you didn't know it at the time that spring football was essentially not going to be a thing. But how yeah. valuable is that now than if he had been redshirted last year, right? It's a good um, point. He he's not going to be a brand new quarterback next season. No, and he's very familiar with Mazzoni's. He committed here basically because of Mazzoni. He loves Mazzoni. He loves his offense. He you know they're gonna. He is a, from a game manager perspective that can, you know, hit an occasional home run, he is like the perfect Mazzoni quarterback, right? Yeah. He's not, he's not some freak, but he's smart. He reads the defense well. He's accurate on these low-risk uh, low plays where you kind of keep moving the change and stay on schedule. And, you know, that maybe it's just me being a homer, but it, and it's, of course it's possible to know, but that, that number just seems like an insanely low number just by the nature of like, you know, you should come out of non-conference most of the time with, you know, at least one to two wins, no matter what your non-conference schedule is, at least the way Arizona schedules them these days. Yeah. Uh, you know, and what a quarterback who as a freshman rated really well in terms of avoiding turnovers, which is, a really, a really valuable skill set to have in a quarterback, especially at the college level. Um, and then if you get an average defense, those two things in combination in terms of clock control, field, you know, field position, that you know, that's how you sneak up on teams and win a couple games that you, you that nobody expected because yeah. you don't have you know, football is a game where a couple of really big plays dictates the outcome more than like. 80 possessions in a basketball game, right? You know, one big turnover swing is the deciding factor in a lot of games, sure. right? Um, so if you have somebody that doesn't turn the ball over in a defense that is competent and doesn't give up the big play nearly as often, that's, you know, that's where we go back to what we've talked about. The difference between a 4-5 or five win team and a 6-7 win team, even an 8 win team, is not that much, especially when the Pac-12 is, eh. <laughs> Yeah, but of course, any buzz that would have been surrounding this program was squashed by what's going on in the world right now, which is, of course, way more serious than than football. But certainly we are looking forward to all sports getting back because it's a nice distraction. Even when Arizona's bad, at least there's football, right? <laughs> like that's. But 
I agree with you. Like talent-wise on this team, at least on paper, offensively they have some decent, some good pieces there. And if Ganell is takes that step that we think he will, they're going to be a pretty good offense. The question was, of course, their defense, and the hope was a new coaching staff would be able to have that defense improve a little bit. We'll see. But again, everything's contingent on when things could get back to some sense of normalcy for them to get on the field and play games, because obviously football, they people have to be in the same room. They have to be in the same place if you're going to play football. So can't get around that. But, you know, Brett, what I realized, we kind of talked in our show prep, the little we did, we did not talk about Justin Ganey. Oh, yeah. So Another departure. Yeah. (laughs) Really quick, before we sign off for this week, Arizona did lose an assistant coach. Justin Ganey went back to Marquette to be their associate head coach. Makes total sense. Like, why wouldn't you take that, make that move? I guess – uh, reportedly, they already have identified the replacement. Don't know who it is, but it's it's always a loss because Ganey seemed like a good guy, seemed like a nice coach, never heard anything bad about him, but at the same time, he wasn't the ace recruiter. He wasn't the associate head coach here. He wasn't the head coach here. Arizona basketball should be fine. Yeah, and I mean, it's if you're if you're a good program with positive positive momentum you should lose good assistance like Ganey to upgrade jobs right uh it's not necessarily like a program upgrade going to Marquette but he's now the associate head coach which means it's probably like you know a significant amount of money more uh and an opportunity to like take the next step um plus it's really nice for Arizona to lose an assistant coach to not administrative leave or the (laughs) uh, penitentiary so you know that's a good point. <laughs> Positive momentum. That, 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 that is a good step forward for Arizona <laughs> basketball. So with that, Brett, I think that's a good way to finish this one up. It was good to get back on the air a little bit. Like, Yeah, man. And the, having the little video chat made it feel like you're almost here. I, I think we broke the fourth wall earlier. Now we broke like the sixth wall because that's totally irrelevant to the people who are listening. But, yeah, so we have a little video chat, too, so we can at least see each other's you know, stare into each other's eyes while we do this podcast from Wildcat Radio 2.0 because that's the kind of show we have here. Well, it's really so I can use my air quotes and you can call it out. (laughs) As we do when we normally do this show. (laughs) Exactly. But everyone, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. Stay healthy. Social distancing. We're all in this together. Brett, you and I will try this again next week. We'll see what we have to talk about. There may be news. They may, we may just come up with some topics that we just want to discuss, just Wildcat history and things like that, some good debates that are out there because you all know they exist. There's a lot that people have questions about, a lot of things they want answers for, and a lot of things they just want to talk about. We do too. So until then, bear down. Bear down.